You're listening to Thinking Outside the Bud, where we speak with entrepreneurs, investors, thought leaders, researchers, advocates, and policymakers who are finding new and exciting ways for cannabis to positively impact business, society, and culture. And now, here is your host, business coach, Bruce Eckfeldt. Are you a CEO looking to scale your company faster and easier? Check out Thrive Roundtable. Thrive combines a moderated peer group mastermind, expert one-on-one coaching, access to proven growth tools, and a 24-7 support community. Created by Inc. award-winning CEO and certified scaling-up business coach Bruce Eckfeldt, Thrive will help you grow your business more quickly and with less drama. For details on the program, visit Eckfeldt.com slash thrive. That's E-C-K-F-E-L-D-T dot com slash thrive. Welcome, everyone. This is Thinking Outside the Bud. I'm Bruce Eckfeldt. I'm your host. Our guest today is Andreas Fajardo. He is CEO and co-founder at Clever Leaves. We're going to talk about the world of cannabis. We're going to talk a little bit about international cannabis and really how this market is playing out not only inside of the United States, but outside the United States and where really kind of where this industry is going to go and some of the interesting dynamics because of the regulatory legal framework that we're in, how things are kind of developing in different, not only different states, but different countries. And Andres has some really interesting insight and background in doing the interesting work of cannabis on a global scale. So we're going to talk about all that. We're going to talk about background and see where uh, see where things are going. So with all that, Andres, welcome to the program. Bruce, thank you very much for, for having me. It's a pleasure to be talking about uh international cannabis, it's a little bit different from what happens in the U.S. and Canada, how people are most uh, related to, but uh, I think the dynamics from the international world are very interesting, very promising, and very happy to be sharing that with you and on the audience. Yeah, now I'm excited. Before we dive into everything you're doing today with Clever Leaves, let's get a little bit of background. Give us your professional background. How did you get into cannabis? Give us a little bit of the story here. Absolutely, Bruce. Well, I'm probably the kind of guy you wouldn't have expected in cannabis. Uh, I'm a <laughs> Colombian. I'm an industrial engineer economist by trade. I started working in global management consulting firms. I did that for three years, then went to Harvard Business School for my MBA, then continued doing consulting. Uh, but I always wanted to start my own business and, you know, I was living in Mexico, traveling all over the world and, uh, and I thought, you know, I want to start my own business. So I decided to come back to Colombia and became the CEO of an IT service and outsourcing company. So actually I got to do some of the things I was used to recommending, a lot harder to do than to recommend, um, <laughs> as you can imagine. Eat your own uh, dog food a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I always thought uh, outsourcing and IT was a fast moving, complex industry. Uh, I didn't know then that I was going to go into cannabis, but, um. You know, did that for six years with the CEO there. And in 2016, me and, and my partners, you know, decided to leave our, our jobs and, and started Clever Leaves back in March, April, 2016. And, you know, we were, we were thinking that, you know, Colombia made a lot of sense for the production of cannabis, given its conditions, given the, the agronomical natural conditions that we had, uh, yeah. which made it, uh, you know, cheap, uh, low capital regulation at that point was, was uh, actually quite uh, ahead of many other countries. So we saw the opportunity. Uh, we started there. We were in, uh, among the first licensees in Colombia. You know, we started from there and and we really started scaling in 2018 when we started, well, we got our first round of funding with uh, our, our partners at Northern Swan, which was a cannabis-focused investment fund from the U.S., with whom we later merged in late October 2019 or so. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we expanded, expanded, became public in, in, in December 2020, you know, and have been through the ups and downs of the cannabis industry, coming kings of the world, and uh, nobody's yeah. looking at it. 
And I guess, you know, now in, in a moment in which, you know, you really have to prove that you have a business model that makes sense, that makes money, that's sustainable. And, and that's what we're striving for right now. Yeah. So I, I'm curious just kind of to look at the kind of the logistics or the, or the business logic for, you know, cultivating cannabis in, in Colombia. I mean, obviously, you know, we think of Colombia as being, a, you know, incredibly rich from a agricultural point of view, you know, sunlight, uh, sources of water, uh, you know, fertile ground, like all the things that kind of go into agriculture, you know, Columbia obviously has a lot of these things, but when it comes to cannabis, when you look at the business of cultivating cannabis, like what are the big factors and what, you know, in terms of growing in Columbia, why does it work or why is it interesting compared to some of these other locations, particularly in the U.S.? Yeah, I would say there are a few. You know, number one, it's a matter of cost, right? And uh, a matter of scalability. And the reason being is, you know, we're in the tropics. Yeah. You know, that means we have 12 hours of sunlight, 12 hours of darkness year round. We do not need, uh, you know, supplemental lightning for the flowers to grow. We really need mm-hmm. supplemental lightning for the flowers just not to flower. So that's a very different kind of lightning, uh, which means our power consumption is marginal compared to that yeah. in the US or other places. In addition to that, we have factor costs, which are several times lower than those uh, in the U.S. or other developed countries. And I think that's a, a very important advantage as well, which basically gives us a cost advantage. I think that's number one. Number two is scalability, right? We can very easily and at a very low capital expenditure level, you know, grow our sites. And that's very important for a couple of reasons, uh, Bruce. One, well, as volume is, is sold, you can easily expand and it's not going to cost you millions and millions of dollars to to expand for every, you know, in, in every inch room that you actually build, it's, you know, it's very expensive, blah, blah, blah. For us, it's a relatively low cost expansion possibility to fulfill the volume. But another element of that capacity, you know, or, or ability to expand at a relatively low capex is the fact that, you know, we can have space available for, for trying out genetics. You know, we have discovery programs that can be massive and that doesn't mean, you know, we're using up space for production and we're losing on revenues because of that, we have the ability, very, very large discovery programs, which means in turn that we have the ability to launch new and new products, particularly on the flower side of things into the market. So I think the conditions here allow us to do that. I would say, I would say that there is a third one, which for us as a company is very important is that we believe it's environmentally sustainable. I already mentioned, you know, we're, we're really using very little power. Uh, we mm-hmm. as a company strive that our flower that we're selling internationally is going to be carbon neutral by end of the year or around there. And and that's something big in cannabis, right? Because you know that the consumption of power in cannabis is something tremendous, right? Yeah. Why? Because you're emulating the conditions that we have for free by putting in the humidifiers, you know, heaters, you know, and so on and so far. We don't need yep. that. So that that's key. And the other element we do on that environmental sustainability is given our setup, right, we're able to use rainwater. So basically we use 80% plus of the water that we use in our grows is rainwater. So that's yeah. very responsible use of water. So it's not only cost, it's scale, it's the ability to have very lo- you know, large products. And it's also, you know, the ability to do it sustainably. We have that because we're in the tropics. And I yep. would add one thing, Bruce, and the reality is, you know, it actually has been part of the purpose of this company since the beginning. And is in Colombia, you know, marijuana, has been grown for a long time. Yeah, uh, it has a painful history for the country. Yeah, but there is know-how, there is brand awareness in the world. So what we want to do is change that into a positive thing, change that into a legal cannabis business, and that's what we're doing. I have to say, I mean, we have shipped to over thir- thirteen countries all over the world, and now we're bringing the Colombian cannabis marijuana, we now Colombian cannabis, 
uh, mm-hmm. to the world through the legal through the legal channel. So so that for us is just why we believe Colombia gives us a, a unique advantage. Yeah. Give us a little more insight in terms of regulatory framework in Colombia. What what is the licensing process? What I mean, how how is the Colombian government managing the cannabis industry inside its borders? Absolutely. At the beginning, 2016, 2018, those initial pieces of regulation allowed for companies to grow cannabis, but only to use it in extraction processes. So the only final product that we could sell was extracted product. As a result of that, we uh, decided to get our, our, our cultivation and our, our extraction and formulation facility certified. We're EU GMP certified. Uh, we're able to, to send those products across the globe. We have other certifications from the Colombian authorities. We are soon to receive the certification from the Brazilian authorities. So it's a very pure pharmaceutical you know, operation for the export of extract. That's what we, how we were originally set up. Yeah. We couldn't do flour. And as a result, we had invested in a cultivation and processing facility in Portugal, which we also had UGMP certified, et cetera. But then regulation changed in Colombia. The regulation changed in Colombia in 2021 to allow for the sale of smokable dry flour for medical cannabis you know, patients. Mm-hmm. And with that, we started our, our program to get our flour up to up to par with market standards. You know, For the first couple of years, we decided to keep up uh, Portugal open as we were already having flour, we were already selling, et cetera, yep. et cetera. However, as the Colombian flower quality caught up to the Portuguese flower quality and our cost structure is, is vastly different here, yeah. we decided to shut down Portugal, sell those assets and focus on Colombia alone. So right now in Colombia, we're allowed to cultivate flowers for export and we're allowed to produce extracts for both domestic you know, consumption through specific medical channels, as well as to export it for medical channels uh, all over the world, which is what we have been doing you know, quite successfully in the last couple of years. Yeah. And how big is the cannabis market in Colombia versus some of the other countries that you're, you're doing business? I mean, I, I guess what percentage are you selling internally versus exporting? Well, uh, frankly, frankly, Bruce, our focus in Colombia is, is minimal at this point. Yeah. And there are a few reasons for that. The pathway set for the cannabis sales in Colombia was, was a little cumbersome in terms of what a physician had to do to prescribe how the patients could access the the cannabis, et cetera, and it was out of pocket, you know, and Colombia has a, a, a healthcare system, which is really universal coverage based, which means people are not used to paying for anything uh, yeah. at all. Everything is paid for by the system. So yeah. when you come with a, with a new drug that that's, you have to pay for it's, it's hard. However, you know, in late December last year, early January this year, it was a change which basically included cannabis as part of the universal coverage healthcare system, which means, of course, the opportunity is much bigger, which means, of course, we're starting to focus a lot more in Colombia. By design, we hadn't done that. We basically were in Colombia just to serve some patients yeah. you know, as part of our, our responsibility. But now we're going to focus in Colombia. The market, Colombia is 50, 55 million people. It's not going to be small, but it's going to take some time to develop. I would say yeah. right now, you know, our markets of focus are very clear. We have been focusing for a few years in Australia, Germany, Israel, and Brazil. Most recently, okay. the UK. You know, we have a focus strategy. One of the things we learned the hard way as a, as a, <laughs> as a global company is yeah. if, you, if you focus on too many things, you're going to be stretched too thin. And entering a very small country is probably as complex as entering a very large country. So we focus very much. And of course, you know, Germany is, a, is one of the largest global markets. And I'm excluding the US and Canada where we have no sales and where we don't see us having sales in the short term in okay. the US because it's not federally legal and in Canada because uh, they just don't allow imports, although we don't agree with that, but that's what happens. <laughs> sure you uh, don't, yeah. You know, of course. So so Germany, of course, a big market. Israel is a big market. Australia is a market that has been developing. We, we entered very early and, and when, the, when the team came to me initially and said, we're going to go to Australia, I said, guys, are you crazy? 
but now it's one of our largest markets. Some regulatory changes happening in Australia are going to favor companies like us with very high pharmaceutical grade certifications. Those <laughs> changes are going to happen imminently, so we're very well positioned in that market. And probably I'd say one of the one of the markets that people understand the least, but I believe has the potential to become the largest uh, medical cannabis market in the next couple of years is Brazil. In Brazil, interesting. There is some very tough legis, you know, regulation to get in. Basically, you have to have the same dossiers for any pharmaceutical product except for the clinical data, which makes it hard to register a product. We have several products registered. We have a partnership there with uh, two companies, one called Green Care, a cannabis-focused company, in your opinion, probably the best cannabis company in, in Brazil with significant sales force, with significant you know sales in, in different channels on the one hand. And, and on the other hand, and very importantly, uh, a company called Hypera Pharma, which is one of the largest pharmaceutical companies in Brazil. You know, they have, uh, you know, Salesforce, you know, several thousand people. And we have been working very tightly with, with them, you know, to launch our products on medical education and on changing physicians' view on cannabis, which real, really means you have to convince them that the products work, but you also have yeah. to convince them that it's, it's a proper pharmaceutical product. Because they, they sometimes think, I mean, wh- where is this made? You know, is this made kind of like in the movies, you know, yeah. kind of thing? Or, or is it a proper pharmaceutical thing? So we have been working hard, you know, and I believe, that in terms of number of patients, uh, Brazil can probably become one of the largest markets in the next one to two years. It's so hard to enter that you don't hear it so much in the news. But for us, they have a strong presence and most, you know, with several products registered. And most importantly, with key partners like Harper and Green Care, we believe it's going to be one of the most important markets in the world very, very yeah. soon. And I've been saying this for a year or so. <laughs> I think people are not hearing, but now you're going to start seeing it in our numbers. So, so yeah. uh, you know, we're very bullish on, on, on that market. And, and certainly other markets coming in, uh, you know, Poland, which is taking time, but it's a big country. Czech Republic, we're taking a little bit more of a, of a liberal stand in, in cannabis in general. So it's exciting. It's exciting. I, I'd say it's a market that's been slow to develop, Bruce, and, uh, and complex, very complex to send cannabis internationally. Imagine you have all the all the police were used to stopping cannabis from traveling. Oh, yeah. and now you have to have them involved in, in shipping this. It's a process. But we believe it's a, it's an industry that's sustainably growing, and that we can that we're going to be able to to exploit and, and leverage our capabilities and win it. So so we're very excited about. It. Yeah, you mentioned this kind of pharmaceutical grade several times. Like, give me a sense of what, what is how are you approaching kind of the grading process and kind of dealing with different countries in terms of how they requirements about testing, about grading, around you know cultivation practices, use of different materials. Like how how do you kind of navigate the kind of the the legal side or the regulatory aspect, but also the kind of the consumer desire, demand, like what, what do people want versus how do you get things passed? Like how, how complicated yeah. does it get for you? It, it is, it is very complicated. I would say, Bruce, I would actually would think that that's one of the key capabilities that Clarity has. And, and it's one of the key capabilities that we believe is part of our right to win in this market. I, I think there are several, you know, aspects to it that are important. Number one is we decided from the very beginning, as I mentioned, to go for the for the highest available standard in terms of pharmaceutical grades, you know, uh, that could give us access to countries in the world, and that's why we went for the EU GMP. You know, in our in our mind, it's it's probably the European standards and the US standards that are you know that are up there. The US, it's not fairly legal, so you so you know it's it's really the European standard. So from a manufacturing process perspective, we went for the European standard, right? Uh, mm-hmm. And that has been the way we've operated since the beginning. And, you know, very hard if you're not operating in that way to actually produce products that are going to eventually be EU GMP. So, but if you start from that, it's a little bit easier. So one is that the manufacturing standards are EU GMP, which are the highest. Mm-hmm. Then we've had the Colombian GMP. 
as I said, we're getting the Brazilian GMP. So we have a lot of certifications. I think we have more certifications than many, that most cannabis companies, to be frank, and actually of, of many of pharmaceutical companies. Uh, so that's one, right? It, it gives you one thing. The second thing, which is very critical and, you know, it's, it's hard to understand why is the whole product development, right? Because product development in pharma, brews can take, you know, two years. If you're talking about flour, it can take a year or two as well. So, so you have to, you know, look at what's most probably going to be demanded in the market. You have to talk to your partners. You have to understand what's happening. You under have to talk to physicians, see what's going to happen in the different markets. Try to understand regulation to see what's allowed and what's not, because it's not the same in any places. And then you have to decide your product you're going to develop. And you start developing, right? If it's an extra, you have to work on the formulations. Then you have to work on the on the dossiers and you have to work on the stability, which is basically when you put products there and see how they behave in time, you know, and there are things you can speed up of those processes, like your formulation and testing and stuff. But for example, stability, right? Stability, if it's a year stability, it has to stay a year in a chamber. You cannot accelerate that, right? It's like yeah. you can you cannot have a kid with nine mothers in one month. You cannot accelerate stability, frankly. So, so those things are, are very important picks. I think we've made some, there are some products that we wished we would have done, which we're doing now. You know, but there are some others that are working very, very well, like we expected. So, so it's a little bit of that. And on the flower, which I would, I would argue is a little bit faster, you know, regulation for flower, although it's a medical product, the pharmaceutical world is not used to regulating flowers, as, you know, so regulation is a little bit more, I don't want to call lax, but I would say a, a little bit more, less strict than it is for extract, interestingly so. But still then, you know, you have to go through the pure agronomical development process, which for any cannabis company, you know, recreational, medical, whatever, it takes quite a bit of time to develop a good genetic. And then on top of that, you have to, you know, develop the, the protocols, the COAs, you know, the LODs, everything that's required as part of a pharmaceutical product. And there, and there, frankly, one of the advantages that we have is that we can do it for several strains at the same time, given that we have the scale and given that it's not costly to try. But we have to go through that process. So, so to your question, that product development element is absolutely critical for an international company to succeed. We cannot be changing products like changing underwear. It takes time, so you have to pick well. Yeah, or, or have lots of options that you're developing per, you know, at the same time. Yeah, exactly, exactly, exactly. And third, and you mentioned it as, as you were asking a question, Bruce, is regulatory expertise. You really have to understand regulators uh, mindsets. You have to, you, I mean, not only the, the regulation itself, but the mindset, what is it intended for? You know, how does it work? What kind of documents you have to pre present, blah, blah, blah. It changes for every single country. As I said, we've done it with 13, 15 countries at this point in time, you know, and, and, and that's know-how that we have that is not easy to have and everything is possible. It just takes time and, and, and effort, right? And, uh, yep. uh, and it changes, Bruce. I mean, you would have imagined that, okay, I'm going to send a narcotic to Germany. It's going to be similar to Poland. No, it's not the same. <laughs> Even to, there like to are think. two countries that are, you know, are next to each other in the same European Union. So, so if you want to play in the international world, you have to be cognizant of that and you have to be very savvy at managing that. As, as a matter of fact, one of our co-founders who used to be the drug policy director here in Colombia, is our current chief regulatory officer and, and he's always looking to opening pathways. And I always say, you know, yeah. part of the problem with global cannabis is opening the pathways. Once you open them, for example, Brazil for us, you have a market, it's sticky and it's going to grow. Mm -hmm. But you have to open them first. So, so that's kind of the dynamic of how the international world yeah. works. You know, in the in the U.S., I, it's the kind of the regulatory requirements are pretty. Uh, I guess I'll say burdensome for cultivators in the U.S. And that most states, you know, require to you to 
basically tag plants once they come out of the cloning room and like the, 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 you know, weighing each plant at each step of the process, right? Like there's a lot of tagging and data collection and track and trace and all these things. And it's, you know, I guess I won't judge it. I'll just say that it's a lot. (laughs) I mean, in terms of how Columbia is doing things, like is the operationally what you need to do to kind of be compliant, you know, burdensome or I guess how compare it I don't know how much you know about the U.S. and how, you know, what the requirements are for cultivation, but is it is it at a similar level? Is it not as complicated? Give me a sense of the operational complexity. It is more complicated. I'm absolutely sure of that. So there, uh, as an illustration, you know, we have a software platform that's widely, widely used in the U.S. for seeds. Yeah. Not really seed to sale, but are mostly for a cultivation process, right? So let's say seed to final product. Uh-huh. And... Uh, big platform, famous platform, the amount of work we had to do together to actually be able to generate the number, type, and complexity of controls required by Colombian regulation was astonishing. So it, it is very hard because, you know, in Colombia, Colombia is a country that suffered a lot of, from drugs. Mm-hmm. So basically they want to have visibility and control over 100% of everything. If I decided to put one clone on the ground, they have to report it. If that clone grows and becomes flower, they have to report it. If that clone dies or I decided to, to to take it out, I have to report it. So everything has to balance out. You know, we have to do those reports to the Ministry of Justice as well as to the National Narcotics Fund in Colombia. So there is a lot of reporting on any any single thing that happens at the plant level. So it's, it's yeah. very, very tight. And if you add to that, Bruce, because it's not only that, it's also the fact that we are EU GMP yeah. on our cultivation and that we are... IMC gap, so that's year's rally standard for cultivation. So it's it's a very much very very advanced uh, GACP, which we also have. You know the requirement of information is vast, so we have to deal with a lot of information, a lot of traceability. We have to know exactly you know when and anything that went into a specific bottle of extract was planted, where, what happened to it, et cetera, et cetera. So we have to have that data. It's absolutely required. That's probably one of the most important aspects of any pharmaceutical certification. And if you put on top of that, what I was mentioning about the, the fact that it's a narcotic and highly controlled, you know, it's, it's astonishing. I mean, you would be amazed. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> I've, seen, I've seen it in the U.S. to some extent, and it's, uh, it, is, it is pretty significant. Let's talk about sort of where you see this international playing out, the international market playing out. I mean, you mentioned you're not focused on the U.S. and Canada right now. Canada because of regulatory issues, U.S. obviously because of legal issues. I mean, are these, when you're looking at your strategic plan and your forecast, like looking at the next five to seven years, I mean, are these markets on your radar? Do you feel like these are going to start coming into play? And are they important strategically for you? Or are you just deciding, like, let's just focus on the rest of the world and there's plenty of opportunity there? Well, let's not just get, not let's not make things too complex by trying to get to U.S. and Canada. Look, I think it would be, it would make no sense for any company, almost in any industry, I'd say, not to have an eye on the U.S. You know, the U.S. is the largest market by far. I think it's going to continue to be for many, many years. The question is federal legality, right? Because we're required for federal legality to happen to really have an opportunity in the U.S. We have made exports to the U.S. We have worked with some companies that are doing research who require pharmaceutical-grade products. But that's something that's very nascent and very small. Uh, if we really wanted to enter the mainstream market in the U.S., you know, we'd have to do it at this point through through CBD products, which, as you know, is a category that's, you know, that's... Uh, that's suffering from from many, many different angles. You know, it's highly fragmented. Nobody's making money. 
uh, the FDA doesn't like it or doesn't endorse it at least. So, so it's not easy on the CBD side. So, so entering into the medical world, which is what I think we could do from Colombia, is a possibility. It's something that we are always looking at. But I think at the, until it's you know federally legal, it's going to be impossible. And uh, it's a matter of when, in my mind, it's not a matter of if. But let's say there are some other biases that have to happen, like you no know, safe, and and you know there is a lot of things happening around safe and uh, a lot of hope. Again, in the in the recent weeks about that, and uh, you know, we hope it passes. I think it's going to be important for us and for the industry, which is struggling a bit. But uh, but we're definitely keeping an eye in the U.S. As a matter of fact, we have a company. You know, we invested in from the beginning. It's a nutraceutical company called Herbal Brands, which basically currently sells you know nutraceutical products through the sorts of CPS, Walmart, Walgreens. You know, all of the main names in retail in the U.S. as well as smoke shops, etc. So so what's the idea there? That we have relationship with the potential channels. We have relationships with the retailers, et cetera, et cetera. But for anything to happen, we need federal legality. So we have an eye. We see that market, you know, in our future. We are hoping and expecting that market's open so at some point. But we are not putting the fate of the company on the assumption that the U.S. is going to go yeah. uh, federal legal anytime soon. We would think that that's irresponsible. So it is there, but we never have it in our plans for us to be a successful company. So we're yeah. basically going to focus on those other markets that are in- internationally and th- that are w- quite known. And 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 you know, we have in markets like Brazil, you know, we're we're bullish on Poland. We're certainly having a, our, our own branded products in Germany. Have b- different paths to that market. So we believe, you know, more and more markets are going to open, and that's going to be your first avenue of growth as markets open up. That's one. Second, as markets are opened, you know, you really have to work on penetrating those markets, and uh, we believe that. You know, we're going to bring, you know, very high quality products to the markets at an affordable price. I think affordability is still a very important issue for markets to really grow. And we, through our cost advantage and our sustainably, environmentally sustainable growth, are going to be able to make a disruption. We're already doing so in some of those markets. So uh, we believe that's going to be our second, you know, most important uh, avenue of growth, which is growing in the markets where we're currently at. You know, and and we're we're thinking day in day out. How can we, as a company with a different cost structure and a different set of infrastructure assets, go and help disrupt the German market and have it grow again, right? And and not have it stuck. And I would say that third, you know, Bruce and and you know, we have been, of course, keeping an eye and we're working on is you know, eventual opportunities for the for the adult use market to open up. Mm -hmm. And uh, you know, I've always been less bullish than than many on the German market. You know, I remember, you know, in conferences back last year, even in Berlin, where people were talking about, you know, we're going to be selling recreational cannabis in Germany in 2023. I said, there's no way. If something if something is going to happen in 2024, now it's definitely 2025 or beyond. So, so we don't base uh, our assumptions on that, but it's going to happen as well. Uh, and yeah. the question is, how well prepared are you? Uh, to find those markets. And, and we as a company are having great products, great price, and we're starting to work on some of our brands in different markets. I, I guess that's one. But one market for us, which is we believe has a good opportunity to become recreational is the Colombian market. And it's yeah. not a small market. It's, as I mentioned, 50, 55 million people. It's a market where, you know, uh, consumption of, of spirits or, or beer per capita is quite high. So people here know and like to party. Mm-hmm. And, um, and we see that as a very good opportunity. So that probably is, I, I think, in my mind, probably a year away or so. Uh, but I think it's probably going to be the soonest and most and easiest for us to to work in and win because it's you know our our, our own backyard. So so recreational is is or adult use is another potential avenue of growth for a company like us in the international uh, in the international setting. And certainly, last but not least, the U.S. 
if it happens tomorrow, it'll be great. But I think it's going to take time. It's going to take time. I mean, I, yeah. I, that's the reality. Yeah, I don't think anyone is expecting it to happen uh, in, in a short no. order here. But um, yeah, it, it is interesting. I mean, uh, how the kind of legal situation has really kind of shaped this international market and, you know, yeah, taken out the U.S., uh, you know, from most, you know, in terms of an international trade market. But Andreas, this has been a pleasure. If people want to find out more about you, more about the work that you do, the company, what's the best way to get that information? Absolutely, Bruce. I think the best uh, the best place to go is to look at our website, www.cleverleaves.com. There we have all the information of the company, our team, which is probably our most important asset, we believe. And all of my, my contacts are going to be there. So I'll be happy to to hear questions, uh, get questions. I'll be happy to answer them and, and uh, you know, encourage everybody to, to look at the website and reach out to us. Excellent. I'll make sure the information is in the show notes. Andres, thank you so much for taking the time today. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, Bruce. Thanks for letting me be here. That's it for this episode of Thinking Outside the Bud. Be sure to subscribe using your favorite podcast app so you don't miss our future episodes. See you next time. You've been listening to Thinking Outside the Bud with business coach Bruce Eckfeld. To find a full list of podcast episodes, download the tools and worksheets and access other great content. Visit the website at thinkingoutsidethebud.com. And don't forget to sign up for the free newsletter at thinkingoutsidethebud.com forward slash newsletter.